0: Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of React Roundup. I am your host, Paige Niedringhaus, and I'm joined today by one of our co-hosts, TJ Van Toll. Hey everyone. And we are joined today by our special guest, Glenn Madden. Glenn, if you'd like to introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself and why you're famous, that'd be great.
1: Sure, my name's Glenn, I'm uh, I'm from Australia. I've been working in Melbourne for the last 10 years, but recently moved to London. It's really exciting to be over here, although now, you know, locked down and don't get to see much of the city. <laughs> I've been doing React for five, six years, I think, pretty early on. Why I would be famous, I guess, you. Would, most people, who if they're doing anything with React, might have come across a couple of projects that I helped to start were CSS modules and styled components. I was one of the creators of both of those, which gave me an opportunity to travel around and speak in conferences and stuff quite a bit. So that was a bit of fun. Uh, These days I've kind of shifted my focus away from styling and towards more infrastructure and architecture stuff.
2: Back when functional programming was making its resurgence, I found it really interesting that a lot of people were moving over there and it almost felt like it was on hype. And I didn't really understand the power of functional programming until I learned Elixir. Elixir is a functional programming language it's built on the Erlang virtual machine and it really does some interesting things and makes you build apps in a different way. But what's really fascinating about it is the speed of the applications, the ability to distribute work easily, and just how it manages the functional programming and all of the nice things about it so that you don't have to worry about side effects and a lot of the other things that come out of functional programming. Plus, pattern matching in Elixir is a killer feature. If you're looking for a new language that you want to learn that is going to make a difference for you and give you the opportunity to challenge some of your thinking and find a new way of doing it, Elixir is a great way to go. And we have a podcast now on Elixir called Elixir Mix. And you can find that at elixirmix.com.
0: Very cool. Um, So what are you currently working on?
1: So my current project is something called Front End Application Bundles or, or FABs. Basically, I saw a problem in the industry where a lot of people were doing a lot of cool stuff with React, but there was like a small subset of people who were doing stuff on the server side as well, Right. And there seemed to be a bit of a growing divide between people who would do some stuff on the server and people who weren't. And then you had things like Gatsby come out to make it possible to do even more without a server. And Netlify and other things, you know, the rise of this thing called Jamstack, making it really powerful to to do things without a server, right? My opinion is that that is kind of closing the door to some really interesting things that we might be able to do in the future. And so FABs are a reaction to that to kind of say, all right, so Jamstack is step one. So what's next? What's the next level? How do we make all the people who feel at home in you know, writing for the browser, give them the capability to do a few more interesting things?
3: Awesome. So first of all, A plus acronym. I really like the, the FABs. <laughs> Really well done. Thanks. Uh, I I think my first question is so. Can you explain that you say some interesting things as someone that I I haven't done a whole lot with server side stuff in relation to static sites. So could you elaborate on like what are the sort of things you would want to do on top of like your sort of traditional straightforward HTML, CSS, JavaScript?
1: Yeah. So I think um, you can think about this as like what like code will run in the browser or will run on the server, right? And That doesn't, a code that runs on the server doesn't mean that it's necessarily a backend thing, right? So you might have to have, you might be using a backend as a service or a database or something. And the only thing you need a server to do is to say, take a secret key and attach it to an API request, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're using this nice little service. Now, if you wanted to deploy that today, Either you put the secret in the browser, right, and try and obfuscate it and just try to slip it in there and talk directly to, you know, some back end. Or you have to spin up a whole server, right? You have to spin up a, um, and maintain this server or run a Lambda function or any of that stuff. And so you can think about all the concerns, all the things you might want to do on the back end. Some of them are actually really small and actually just a way of facilitating the front end. And you can think of things like GraphQL Right before we had GraphQL, if you wanted something new, if you wanted some new data from the back end, then you had to go and ask somebody or you had to jump into a different code base or a different language potentially in order to change the endpoint to serve you the data that you need and then you can update your UI. Right? So that circle gets kind of low. That gets mm-hmm. kind of long. But GraphQL kind of goes to the other end, which is like okay, let's make the back end really generic and let you just grab whatever data you want. But it doesn't really make any sense for that code to live on the browser. Right, the browser still just says, "Hey, I need data for this screen." But GraphQL, like its solution to that, is, "Hey, let's put all the code down on the front end, and then have it send up this query that then the server responds to." If you had something in the middle, which is like a there's a pattern or a, a term called back end for front end, which Fabs are kind of like I don't know, absorbing. If you can have a little bit of server side logic inside your front end project, then maybe that's not how you have to have it set up, right? maybe you have a different home screen for logged in or logged out and you just check a cookie and you serve either, you know, this home screen A or home screen B. Maybe you have things localized and that, that there's just like a tiny bit of logic that runs on the server to say, this is a French speaking person from Paris, therefore we give them that information. The kind of concept is that I think we've been, well, our systems have kind of led us into this this uh, situation where stuff that runs on the back end has to be really big and heavy and need different expertise. And then stuff that runs on the server, sorry, stuff that runs on the client needs to be small it, because it has to be shipped down and it needs to be, well, it's, it's by definition insecure. And so the kind of back end for front end or the fab concept includes that sort of thing
3: awesome yeah i think that's a pretty good explanation too because I've, I've definitely hit those little situations like dealing with authentication and uh, cookies localization any of those sorts of things so i think my next question is how fab then fits into this and maybe you could explain like What is FAB in terms of like, is it a tool like CLI? Like how am I using FAB and how does it help with those sorts of pieces of functionality you just described?
1: Yeah, so it's a CLI that produces a a bundle format, right? So the idea is that the FAB spec describes a special zip file, right? It's just a zip file of your your website with some special structure in it. What that lets you do is it lets you deploy that and host that. Anywhere that can run JavaScript, so you can run, a, you can you can bundle up your site using the Fab CLI and deploy it to Amazon, your own you know your own company's infrastructure. You could deploy it into Docker. You can run it in Node.js, or you can start to run it in places like Cloudflare Workers, right? Which is a new hosting platform that's extremely fast, it's extremely cheap, and it runs 200 places around the world. But it's not the easiest thing to use. So you get this situation where the same tools, doesn't matter what you're building, can go to anywhere, right? And on, on the flip side, it doesn't matter what kind of framework you're using, right? It doesn't matter if you're using React or Vue or Svelte. doesn't matter if you're using server-side rendering or server-side logic or it's Jamstack or it's just client-side. The idea of Fabs is that suddenly it doesn't matter what you're working on you can use all the same tools to deploy. And suddenly it doesn't matter where you want to deploy because all of your projects will be compatible with it. If you think about the, the things I was talking about before, like cookie checking or redirects or, or auth, uh showing different versions for auth, all the good hosting platforms like Netlify will have a way of doing that. They will have a config file that lets you do that. But that means that the, you know the time you spend writing that config file is not portable to anywhere else. So somebody comes along with a better version of Netlify, you can't jump, right? You, you're kind of locked in. And, and for simple config files, it's not a big deal. But I've seen Netlify config files that are tens of thousands of lines long, right? There's a Gatsby plugin to generate them. And, and to me, that's a symptom of that we don't have a better tool because Netlify is kind of the best you can do given the constraints. So FABs is about, well, what happens if your constraints change?
0: So Glenn, how did you get into this? This seems like quite a departure from CSS-styled components and what you were doing previously with React.
1: It's, it's funny, actually. It's like I was not a CSS person before I was a CSS person, and I wasn't a back endy person before <laughs> I guess I am now. <laughs> like, I, I really love the React community, but because it's like a, a new... There's, there's new ways to solve things that are better than the ways before. But that doesn't mean that everything's already solved, right? So with CSS, at the time that CSS modules came out, I was looking at the landscape and, and web, basically CSS modules and Webpack were kind of intertwined. Webpack came along, Tobias implemented this, this little cool little flag that had come out of a couple other ideas about compiling CSS files. And we kind of jumped on that, worked with him, packaged it up, called it CSS modules, and then it was everywhere. Right? Anyone can just use it with a little flag. I then went away and thought, oh, that's not good enough. And sat down and thought, okay, well, what what if you if you didn't depend on Webpack? You just wanted to fix CSS in JS. And I was a big fan of the SCSS or SAS community. And so I wanted to write SAS in my JavaScript files. And there wasn't a way to do it, but I kind of figured out a way to do it and then released that. I showed it to Max Stoiber and we got version one ready and and we released that. And that was quite successful. And so the same thing kind of happened with FABs. I'm working on a product called Link, which is a, a way of streamlining these deployments. So, you know, agnostic of what you're building, make it really easy to get your stuff to production, regardless of where, where your production is. But we didn't have a way of having customers with static sites and having customers with dynamic sites. We could package them all up in a Docker container or something like that. But, you know, we're shipping an entire Unix file system, hundreds of megabytes or even a gigabyte, worth of an image for a few lines of HTML and CSS. And so the same thing happened where it just didn't feel like there was a good way to solve the problem. There were plenty of ways that you could get by and everybody kind of does, but the same part of my brain just got a little bit itched and I I had to scratch it. And so We've been working on this spec for coming up on two years now, gradually honing it, working with our customers at Link, making sure all of their use cases are fixed, but really it has the potential as a project to to kind of unblock what I think is is sort of a is a limitation of the of the react ecosystem right now, which is everybody can only really work with static sites if they want a really good developer experience and so you get to do projects like Gatsby, which really are based on the idea that everything has to be static. So therefore do the best developer experience you can. And and FABs are basically saying, well, what if what if they didn't have to be static? What would you do?
3: Now, I like that a lot. I'm wondering if you could help then from the sort of developer experience point of view, if you could help sort of paint me a picture of like what this looks like during development. So you'd mentioned that FAB is a CLI so suppose I do, I, I like the use case of, I, I just need to check if a user is logged in sort of deal. So if I wanted to write that big of code, is like there's like some convention of a folder I want my server-side code to run and then like some configuration. Like, could you sort of explain it at a high level? Like, what would yeah. I do if oh. I wanted to implement that?
1: So the the workflow with working with FABs is you start with, so we got the FAB package on um, on NPM as well. Uh, which was a gift from, uh, from a friend of mine who had had it for about 10 years and was, <laughs> was very kind to donate it to the project. So you can write npx space fab space init, right, on any project, any front-end project. It won't support everything at the moment. It's a work in progress. But, like, the overarching goal is you run that, that line of code on your front-end project, whatever it is that you're doing. That auto-detects, bootstraps itself, adds a config file and in that config file you have a series of plugins that are you know detected to make your thing work in fabs and you can add another plugin the plugins can be very very simple they're like an express middleware but they use different apis but basically adding that little cookie check is adding one line to that generated config file and then probably about three to five lines of, of JavaScript or TypeScript to create the plugin that says, okay, on this route or on all routes, check this cookie. If it's there, return this. If it's not, return that.
3: And is is it then the plugins that make it work? Like what, I guess, what specifically makes that work across server implementations? Because, or is it just because it's node code, it would work anywhere that just supports running node code? Or I'll yeah, so be is... follow how the pieces come together here?
1: Okay, so, so um, this is a nat- that's a natural kind of like uh, question, but that really kind of pulls away at the whole facade of FABs, which is it's not Node code because FABs can run outside of Node because FABs can run on Cloudflow workers and Cloudflow workers aren't Node. Cloudflare workers are a V8 container. So effectively, you can think of them as a little browser process, right? So the same process isolation that Chrome uses to separate tabs, Cloudflare workers use as an entire hosting infrastructure. So you're writing code that runs on the server, but it's not node. It's much more similar to service worker style code, except it's not running in a service worker. It's running in the cloud. And so to make things compatible with that turns out to require quite a lot of interesting engineering. So I'll give you an example. So Next.js for, for me is one of the most promising uh, frameworks. I'm not super thrilled that it's very tied to the, the Zeit or Versal deployment infrastructure and you know they control the project, they control the infrastructure. I mean, that's all well and good, but I still think, I mean, sorry, I've got my problems with that, but I still think that they're doing the best job in the in the React ecosystem right now. So supporting Next in fabs is one of the core, you know, like must be there, right? But Next.js is a f- fully capable of full server rendering and doing all kinds of stuff, anything you want, basically. But it's a node project it compiles to node code. And to get that inside a FAB, we have to then stub out and recompile and replace parts of that compiled next output in order to make it compatible. Because we're, the other thing about FABs is they kind of take the output of your project. They don't take the source code. So if you're using Create React App, the first step of a FAB build is that you build your normal Create React App, which means all of the webpack, Um, bundle splitting, all of the optimizations you put in that are preserved. You're not actually, Fab's not trying to replace any of that. Fab's just trying to give you a way of taking the output of your build and running it anywhere. And that should work for Vue.js, Next.js, Nux.js, Svelte, everything, right? You do your normal build, but then when it's time to deploy, you wrap it up in a Fab and you can send it anywhere. But underneath, it's not actually Node. And so you're writing a little bit of Code. Um, the best way to do it is to use TypeScript and to import the type definitions so that you get some hinting and that sort of stuff. Um, I'm a big TypeScript fan, and so um, that's that's been the way I've been doing it. But um, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of the the magic behind the curtain, if you know what I mean. Um,
2: hey Glenn. I'm Carl here. Hi,
1: Hi, nice to meet you. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, so looking at the at the repo, what kind of feedback are you getting from any early adopters as to how it's working for them and whether or not they're Looking to become full-time Fabites, if you like.
1: Yeah. So the the response so far has been really good. The problem so far is that the people who are most interested in looking for the solution tend to also have the most complex setups, right, and the most specific demands, right. If you can get your server running and host it, and you know everything's running just perfect on a Node.js install, and you're fine managing that stuff it's going to take a while for fabs to be compatible with everything that you're doing, right? So I've been working with the the um, the BBC News here has a full server rendered na- um, React app that's open source, which has been my kind of benchmark of a real-world, very complex app. And pretty quickly you get into this position where you go, like, to support that app, they use you know, custom Babel extensions in their source code. They have a separate Webpack compiler for their for their server side. They depend upon Express and all these other things that just don't run inside a V8 container alone. They just require Node. And we made a decision earlier in this year to push towards people who are currently not using a server and to give them the ability to to sprinkle kind of server-side code in, or if they're coloring within the lines, if they're using Next.js, then that's fine too, right? As long as they're using the patterns that are laid out there, then FAB supports them. But the people who are most interested in finding a project like this also have the kind of greatest demands and the most specific requests. So everybody who's come to it from the point, which is that this gives them a way to do something new, are having a great time. But... With early adopters, there's an overrepresentation of people who are looking to replace their aging or creaking uh, server-side installation with something that's a bit better uh, maintained. And um, and there's just a thousand and one different ways to do something in in Node.js, and uh, trying to support them all is not the not the priority of the project at this point.
0: So, are you getting to work on this as your full-time job? And if so, do you have like? how big is your team who's helping you? Because this sounds like a really massive
1: undertaking, honestly. Yeah, the funny thing about doing a couple of um, reasonably successful CSS projects is that CSS isn't all that complex, right? Like you have to do a little bit of work. We, there's a fair bit of work in styles components about correctness that took a bit of time, but this is a lot bigger. So I've been splitting my time between... So Link is my company. It's a startup and um, I've been spending my time with that and Fabs for the last well almost two years now, but in sort of the last six seven months, I've been full time on Fabs. Basically, the idea being that that Link is 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 great and it's really useful, but everybody that wants to use that has to get through Fabs first, right? So if we can make fabs accessible, we can prove it to everybody. Then we can go and market that product as being kind of proven that the technology underneath is is all ready to go. And so my I'm, I'm CTO, and this, therefore it's basically my full time job to make sure that fabs work for everybody, and then kind of pass that on to the to the rest of the the company. So in terms of team size, on. Uh, fabs it's mainly me with a couple of um part-time contributors and then link we have um a couple of people back home who are working on the product
0: wow that's that's a lot of pressure on you to get it right yeah but
1: i mean i think with the time zones it's also been good because the rest of the teams back home in melbourne and uh, particularly over their summer it's 11 hours different and so there's very little that i can do day to day to to help people along it's been nice to have a um a separate thing to be to be focusing on, but to be honest, it's like it's it's a, it's a good thing for me to be working on. I really enjoy digging into this problem. I like the idea that I, I think that you know like I've seen a lot of people try to get Next.js working on Cloudflare Workers because Next.js is cool and Cloudflare Workers is cool, and people try to put them together. But I'm, as far as I'm aware, uh, Fabs is still the only way that's Successfully being able to do it, and so it's fun to be able to do that sort of stuff. It's fun to be able to prove out. Now it's just a matter of do does this actually? Because the goal of Fabs is not just to support Link; it's not just to make it easier for people to to have some server side functionality. The goal of Link of Fabs is to totally change what 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 kind of frameworks people are working on. Right. So if you look at Next.js, the thing that's interesting about that is if they ship something cool that requires server-side support, they also have you know, a world-class hosting platform that they deploy that on, right? They kind of control both ends of the stack. They can do something cool for DX that's also really good for performance and, and user experience and also add it to the platform that hosts it. But the opposite of that is that they're the only people who, are in that position, right? They're the only company that has that end-to-end capability to improve everything that we're doing, and I'm a big open source person. So I want somebody much smarter than me to go, hey, everybody out there now has the ability to get to do some cool server-side streaming server rendering or something like Phoenix Live View, like something interesting that's not been possible because everybody has been deploying HTML, CSS as a static file. What's the next generation of frameworks? I think, in the, and basically it's like a chicken and egg problem. right? Are you going to try to do a better version of Next.js when you have to do all the other bits? You have to support all the servers. You have to do all the other things. So there's a, the, the React Router team have started a project called Remix, which is really interesting, and that's, that's a pretty rare team to have the scope to be able to say, hey, I want to change how we develop these apps. I really want to see more innovation in the front-end space And I think that that'll come from making server-side code accessible.
0: It's interesting that you say that because I just read an article, I think it was written by Chris Coyer, about what it means to be a front-end developer now. And it's basically the argument that as a front-end dev, you are a full-stack dev because you need to know tooling and compiling. You need to know frameworks. You need to know CSS and HTML and deployment pipelines and testing and all these different things. So I completely agree with you that we need to simplify a lot of that stuff to actually make it possible for people to think about how could we do this differently and in a new way and in a better way. But there's just so many things to try and keep track of to make that happen.
1: Yeah. So actually, I I totally agree with that. And I think So I didn't used to work on the web. My first, you know, years out of university were were doing uh, Java and C++ stuff, for mathematical modeling, furthest thing away from the web. And uh, (laughs) then I went through Rails and I got seduced by the web by the fact that, like, I had been working professionally for five years and I reckon maybe 10 people had ever run any code that I'd written because we were working in a small shop. It was internal tools. So I, I thought I was getting better at my job. And I was learning stuff, but I was only impacting a few people. When I went on to the, to the web, even though I was a back-end Rails engineer, the thing that got me kind of hooked was the fact that I can actually change, like I can write something, put it on the web, and then a million people could see it. Although, you know, a million people never saw anything I did. But like my first day at that job, we had a fair bit of traffic and I think I deployed something just on the, on the most tra- traffic page, just something small, just to go through the process of deploying. And then by the time we looked at the analytics, there were 10,000 people who had executed that code as part of rendering the item page on this website. And it's like 10,000 people in 10 minutes. Sorry, it was 2,000 in 10 minutes. I can't remember the numbers. But anyway, it was more than I'd ever had before. And so then I gradually got drawn to the front end because that same situation, which is that front end is like the super developer as far as I'm concerned, right? Yes, you have to do all these things, but you get the thing that no one else gets, which is that you can actually interact with a user, with a person. You can build something that that, that makes their lives better or makes them laugh or, or communicates to them. And so I see in my kind of career and also in the industry as a whole, the, the goal of front-end is to care above all about what the user gets to do, right? What they What they're capable of, what they get to play around with. And anything that gets in your way should be simplified and pushed to the margins. that that you can, you know, as a front-end developer, you should be a champion for that user experience. And so FABs are an extension of that. Basically, I want people who would consider themselves front-end developers to be able to do server-side stuff without even a second thought, right? Without thinking, oh, God, I have to learn all these things. Yeah, all right, maybe you're going to be picking a hosting platform just at random, but if it's compatible with FABs, then you know that you're kind of not locked into that. You can say, okay, well, I'll just use this for now because it's free, and then a bit later I'll figure out where I'm actually going to host it. But you can get something out there. You can get it in front of customers or users or friends. And it actually it comes to style components as well. It's like I didn't want you to ju- jump languages. I want you to work in this componentized React world and just keep working. Just think about the end goal. Don't think about the tech at your fingertips. Just, Just get it done, basically.
2: Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood. And over the last few years, I've gotten to know a lot of great people within the Microsoft community and specifically in the .NET area. Uh, One of our guests from JavaScript Jabber, Sean Claybo, actually reached out to me and said he wanted to start a show on .NET. And there are a ton of people out there that I feel like sometimes get neglected in the .NET space. So if you're one of those folks, uh, you've been listening to maybe one or two of the other .NET focused or Microsoft focused podcasts for a while and thought, well, where's the devchat.tv style podcast for me in .net? You can find it. It's at adventuresin.net.net is spelled out d o t n e t.
3: adventuresin.net.com. Go check it out today. That's that's really awesome. And and actually your your description made me think of something else too because I I know I totally fit into the same sort of persona of like whenever I dabble into static sites, the part that's Anything I need to do that's vendor specific is usually the worst part of my day, right? Like digging into the yeah. files. I'm actually curious. So, can you actually start with Fab and start implementing some of this functionality? Say before you even choose a vendor. Yeah, so, absolutely. So basically, if I wanted to, like this auth example we keep bringing up, but like, so locally would Fab sort of spin up its own sort of server to run that? That that then when you're ready to deploy would then run on whatever infrastructure you choose? Is that more or less how that works?
1: Yeah, so exactly right. So there's a command in the CLI called FabServe, and it spins up a Node.js server. uh, Again, because fabs themselves don't require Node.js, they have like browser APIs, so fetch. They don't have HTTP or request or anything like that. It's it's the fetch API that you'll be familiar with from the browser. So it mocks all that out, sets up a sandbox and hosts it like a Node.js server. And that's the core of the Docker server and and every other basically Node.js compatible server. Actually, the interesting thing that I'm working on at the moment is that once you, so so the first version of Fabs was very much more uh, thinking about deploying it. And so the idea of running it locally was a bit secondary. So at the moment, you, in order to make a change to your server, say to test your auth example, you have to compile the fab again and then reboot the server, right? But the plugins that you're writing are so agnostic of anything that they're talking about that something I'm working on at the moment is, is a live reloading dev server so you can actually iterate on those server components and then just change a button and then it's, an, you know, it's a baked-in fab that can go anywhere. So that fab serve environment may be much more dynamic uh, in the new future. Basically, because as I'm generating and I, I'm generating more examples of showing what you can do with it, I'm finding this idea that you have to recompile the fab, even though, you know, fabs are this, they have to be production ready, right? They have to be optimized. They have to be be able to send anywhere so that there's certain constraints on them. But while you're developing them, it'd be nice to just have a library loading, Node.js JS server that just that just mocks them out or sits in front of your Next.js server and provides those extra hooks.
2: So I had a question regarding just your general kind of open source work. So mm-hmm. from your stuff with Star Components and now with Fab, um, what have you learned about having a library? So having an idea and then building the library, getting people to come on board and help you out and actually have a plan for the future of that library and, and how that kind of feeds into your work now?
1: Yeah, it's that's interesting actually. That's the one thing that you don't really that well, you don't really learn except from experience. My experience the first time of that with CSS modules was not particularly positive because we didn't have a very strong so CSS modules as a as a project was actually really small. It was a couple of tiny little plugins. And it was it's kind of half-baked because it's solves one very specific problem in the CSS, which is the global namespace. But it doesn't necessarily let you write better CSS or think about styling differently. And so we, partly because it was so accessible to anyone who's already using Webpack, it was, it was already built in. You could just change it with one line of config. We had so many users so quickly that the like the collective, you know. Well, they talk about invention being exploring the adjacent possible, right? So it's like we had gone from from no compiler, no safety on CSS, and then we'd opened up this idea. Okay, what if you compiled CSS files and this problem went away? That just opened up so much more uh, questions. And the amount of trying to go from, hey, we made this small little change to, oh my God, there's so many other questions out there to solve, became pretty overwhelming actually in terms of just the amount of noise and signal about that project. And so by the time I'd started Star Components, which was about a year later, I started it explicitly with this idea, okay, now I'm going to do this with a stronger identity of what it is. I'm going to say, this is SCSS for JavaScript. I'm going to say, Components have to be named, I'm going to say, all of these sort of constraints. And then, you know, that then what that led to was a much happier maintenance experience, but then also forks of of style components that were almost exactly the same, but with, you know, one thing changed, right? So there was glamorous and which is now gone, I think, and uh, emotion. And the big differentiating factor was, was two things that they could use objects instead of strings. And I was like, ah, I don't like that. And um, they could use CSS props, which we've now adopted in, in Star Components. but So that was the, you know the one good, one bad. But even just the idea to say that Star Components, like I wanted a, somebody who was familiar with CSS to look at a JavaScript file, look at a React file, and see something they recognized, right? I wanted it to be real CSS code because I wanted to reach back to people who had more styling knowledge than JavaScript knowledge. I kind of wish I'd gone further and had a real SCSS for React. I tried that for a few days, a few years ago, and um, I I couldn't make it work. But that really helped, giving the project that identity, which is it didn't try to solve every problem, it just tried to solve that one. And there was a couple of, you know, red lines that we wouldn't cross, which is we wanted it to be strings as much as possible. Obviously, as the space matured, things have changed, you know, things have relaxed and you know there are plenty of people who just prefer and have always done styling in objects and that's fine. But that really not trying to not trying to do nothing and not trying to do everything, just trying to pick something. And that I think as it comes back to your question before about early adopters and you know where this project can go and, and who wants to use it and whether they can, again I'm I'm really focusing on on a subset of, of people, which is people who currently don't have the best time when their needs Slightly extend beyond static sites.
3: Speaking of that, where, like, in terms of the fab project specifically, where is it at in terms of like, is it ready for people to like, I'm building my next production app, I should check it out? Is it something you should sort of experiment with for now? Like, where is it in terms of, uh, you know, stability and such?
1: Yeah. So, uh, by the time this episode airs, we should have the 1.0 release well and truly out. We have, um, we're on our third release candidate at the moment. We're adding a couple of layers that are going to be, that are more sort of forward-facing like caching and streaming. I just wanted to make sure that some of the upcoming work from a few different teams were all compatible with the spec as it was at version one. It's still early, but I would be surprised if, unless you've got an existing large app, if you've got an existing app that doesn't have a lot of logic, and maybe let's say you're if you're using netlify if your config file is less than say 100 lines then you should find the conversion across to fabs pretty pretty reasonable right fabs should be supporting and the best thing that you can do to test it is to run through the initializer the 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 wizard thing the init bot and then try to deploy it to cloudflare workers because if you can get your code hosted on cloudflare workers Well, one, you'll notice it's a lot faster. And then that's the most restrictive environment for fabs, right? Because that's that's this global, very high performance, very restricted lockdown kind of secure environment. You can run it in Node.js and you can make a few shortcuts or whatever, but the fab spec is really, you know. If you can get your site working on Cloudflare workers using fabs, then as far as I'm concerned, you're kind of like you're having a good time there's not a lot of reasons for you then to to diverge away from FABs. Now, if you don't get all the way there, then do let me know. There's, there's um, Obviously, you could raise an issue, but we've got a, a good Discord channel for the project. And, you know, I'm in, I'm in the European time zone, so I'm around a lot. We're still quarantined here, so we don't leave the house. If you, and if you have a, a setup, you can just ping me because basically um, like a lot of these projects are following the same sorts of patterns, uh, if you're doing anything with Create React App, anything with Next.js, anything with Sapper, or Svelte, or Vue, don't quite have Nuxt support just yet. But any of those frameworks, if you're not doing anything weird, you should. Everything should just work. And then, if you can get it running on if it if it runs on Cloudflare Workers, which it which it should, if it compiles to a Fab, then I would encourage you to host there as well because it is lightning fast
3: and very cheap. Actually, I'm curious if you could explain why Cloudflare workers are fast. And um, also is that, so one question I meant to ask earlier is, because you said fabs under the hood aren't running Node and they're running sort of in a, a VA container. Um, is the reason for that to like support these sort of Cloudflare workers? I'm curious, like what specifically makes that so fast?
1: Yeah, so um, we were, because, so the, the, bit of a history of the fab project so what we needed fabs to do at the time um for link was we wanted every commit that a customer makes to have an its own url so you can go back through we actually use this you know somebody breaks the css and nobody noticed for three days so you just go back through every commit and just look at the commit that broke it right we wanted that and if we were spinning up a docker container for everything then that wasn't going to work right because we couldn't we couldn't have all of these docker containers just sitting around for every every pass event, so then we're like okay well we need a need something small lightweight we could use node we're not really sure about the security constraints of of node vM. We sort of look into v eight uh, isolates and are like the security guarantees that v8 give you were mu- much more the priority for us than the performance and then about. A month later, Cloudflare announced their workers that were all built on V8. And at that point, we stopped our security due diligence because we're like, if Cloudflare are building this whole platform on V8, then they will have tested it. You know, like they, they I trust that they, so we were kind of in this position where we'd made the same choices they had and it felt very um, uh, fortuitous since then looking back at that you just go, well v8 is the perfect thing for this v8 is secure it's lightning fast it's just it's totally different to node.js it has no file system it can only talk to the objects that you give it so you give it the fetch api and then it can make um, http requests so every express middleware every module that you would run anywhere in the past usually has some assumption that node is there and a file system is there and you can talk to the HTTP module or you can talk to crypto or like all of these things when you're running in VA, you have to choose whether to give them or not. Cloudflare gives you a couple and, um, and FABs give you a couple more actually. So the FABs will give you, you can talk over the network, so HTTP in and out. You can stream down to the client, and you can talk to a cache. The cache could be Redis, or it could be KV store, or something. So it's like you have a couple of building blocks to build your server. Um, the yeah. So then the question is: the reason they're faster is because they don't have all of this node baggage sitting around. There's a much less code running around. Like Cloudflare Workers is, is written in Rust. The Rust talks directly to the the V8 isolate container. They execute your JavaScript, you can't use eval or new function or anything like that that lets you do anything weird in JavaScript. Um, they don't give you accurate timers. There's all these like constraints that they use to make it more secure and, and, uh, and faster. Um, we didn't need all of those for fabs, but if fabs let you work on Cloudflow workers, then I don't know any good reason not to use them because they're faster than everything else. They're just a lot more restrictive. So um, that's the trade-off.
3: Gotcha. Yep, that makes sense.
2: Oh, yeah, and add uh, just one last question just regarding the project itself. Um, how friendly is it now for maybe somebody who wants to help out and get into open source? Um, are there any issues that they can jump in right, right away that are quite easy? Or
1: yeah, um, there are a couple that are mar- marked with help wanted, and there'll be a couple more with good first issue, which is the the convention that I've used in the past. There are certainly a lot of aspects where. The, if somebody's interested in in getting involved, some of the some of the stuff is a little esoteric about the the setup. But I've um I've I've worked with a couple other people um about trying to make it as standard as possible. If they've contributed to other open source products uh, projects, but I'm extremely welcoming of of new contributors and try to make everything. Uh, as simplified as possible. So at the moment, in particular, if you've got any interest in or a specific framework in mind that's not currently supported, so we have somebody who's working on the SAPA integration. Sapper is a streaming, a streaming Svelte server-side framework um, that's really, really interesting, has some really cool performance characteristics and some really nice developer experience stuff. That is a Pretty much a separate module. It's just a plug-in for for FABS that 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 person can own, and contribute to the to the ecosystem. So, in that sense, there's stuff in the main project that needs doing that should be nice and small and, and good for anyone who's interested. And there's also you know bigger things about making FABS compatible with. At the moment, we don't have a, a Google Cloud deployer but I'd like to see it because I'd like to see if it's faster than Amazon I've only really used Amazon and the same thing with Microsoft's cloud as well optimizing the fab runners for each of those places is something that's you know that's could actually bear a fair bit of fruit in terms of what those platforms are capable of so it's still just a fab but hey maybe a fab running over here is better for these sorts of use cases versus one running over here um The whole point is to make the code portable, but that's not to say that all hosts are the same. Now the hosts are just, you know, they are what they are. They perform how they perform.
0: Very cool. Glenn, is there anything else that you think we should know about Fab that we haven't touched on yet?
1: Um, No, that was great. um, I'm happy to, I've got a few notes here, but I pretty much covered them all, I think.
2: Have you heard of Atwood's Law? He says that anything that can be built in JavaScript eventually will be built in JavaScript. And that includes mobile apps. You can build awesome mobile apps and Apple TV and other apps with React Native. Come check us out every week as we talk about some of the ins and outs of building mobile apps with JavaScript and with React on React Native Radio. You can find it at reactnativeradio.com.
0: So we're going to move into the section of the show called Picks, where we talk about something that's interesting to us that we've found in the last week. It could be products, it could be books, it could be something code related, uh, really whatever you want to talk about. And then we put the links to these in the show notes. So if listeners are interested, they can see what we've got to share. So I'll start us off. The thing that I would like to share this week is an article that Flavio Copes actually released in Free Code Camp, and it is the Dino Handbook. So Dino, if you're not familiar with it, is kind of the, the next generation from the, the man who actually wrote Node. Um, it's all the things that he learned from writing and creating Node. And it's, in his opinion, it's the new thing that people should be looking to do server side development on. I have not gotten into Dino very much yet.